Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I am here with Scott Klein, the Assistant Managing Editor of ProPublica, sort of my latest guest on this burgeoning field of data journalism. Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. I want to start by talking about uh, your philosophy, ProPublica's philosophy, when it comes to the bigger stories that you guys do. It seems like you do a lot of work pulling out data sets that are maybe uh, buried or don't get as much publicity as maybe they deserve, and uh, ProPublica seems to put them in these usable, friendly formats, and you also have sort of a different take on those formats, as, as far as I can tell. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, briefly, ProPublica is a nonprofit investigative news outlet um, started and based in New York City. Um, and our kind of philosophy as an entire organization, we're, I think, about 50-plus or minus people. Um, and our, our mission as a charitable nonprofit um, is to do investigative journalism that has a real impact in the world. Um, so, you know, not just raising awareness, but in fact, um, making change. Um, and we focus on stories we like to sort of say with moral force and stories that... Um, other news outlets maybe don't have the time and resources to do in a way that they maybe used to have in, in the happy days of, of huge profits. Um, so one of the ways that that translates, uh, you know, there's a wider newsroom. Um, I run a, a small team within the larger newsroom, but within the larger newsroom we have people working on uh, long-form investigative stories um, that can take, you know, a year or longer to report. Um, so we kind of really like going after big game. Mm -hmm. the, the way that plays out in my team is is sort of similar um, you know, we like taking large data sets, um, maybe ones that are confusing or people don't understand, or maybe especially ones that actually haven't been released as open data, but we get through FOIA requests or through sourcing or through other means, um, put them together with other data sets that we think will help people understand the data even more. And then what's, I, I think, a little bit new about what we're doing is we actually are presenting the data itself to people as the journalism. So, you know, the traditional model of data journalism is to take data sets to do, you know, even sometimes very lengthy uh, uh, kind of work uh, to process and analyze and clean the data and then write a story about the data and mm -hmm. say, you know, we looked at this million row data set. Um, and here is the biggest, here's the smallest, here's the average, here's, uh, you know, what you need to know, and, you know, here are some anecdotes that help you understand this data. And this is kind of, it takes the form of a, a narrative story, kind of, or a, or a broadcast story in a very traditional role, uh, model. And what we do on, on my team is actually take that the next step and actually just show people the data. Um, and we tell stories, not with narrative, but with user interface, with um, hierarchy, with design, so that people are telling themselves a story just as um, they would read a story in a newspaper. They're telling themselves a story, but this time not with anecdotes, but with their own information. So, you know, their school, their town, their politician, um, you know, how do these things relate to the whole picture? Yeah, and how, how important do you think it is that people are able to compare their personal experience to the experience of, you know, maybe their friends or their family members? So I can go in and look at, uh, you, you did one on uh, education. Uh, yeah. I can go in and look at my high school from when I grew up. You know, how important is it for people to be able to say, I can look at my high school and I can also look at, you know, my spouse's high school when, when he or she was growing up? 
Right. That's a, it's a great question. And in fact, it's absolutely central to the way we do things. So the project you're talking about is called the Opportunity Gap. This is a project we did a few years ago that looks at Department of Education data about um, educational opportunities. Um, and this is defined as um, uh, higher math classes, chemistry classes, AP courses, and things like that. And, and it asks the question, you know, how are these resources distributed, um, are they distributed fairly to rich kids and poor kids? And in the old model, you could have told that story, you know, picked three, you know, high schools in the country that uh, display certain characteristics that you as a reporter find useful. You know, this one is one where there's a lot of equality. Here's one where there's not a lot of equality. You know, let's look at their outcomes and things like that. And and if you're lucky and very, very lucky as a reader, you know, one of those schools might be meaningful to you. But in the vast majority of cases, um, they, you wouldn't have ever heard of these high schools. Right. And it, they may not be great illustrations of this phenomenon to you because it's sort of hard for you to, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to understand this very complex phenomenon with the example of something that's even though simple, is quite remote. And what we can do with a project like the Opportunity Gap is give is to explain this large phenomenon to you by first showing you, a, as a benchmark, your own experience. So you can look up the high school that you went to and understand that, you know, what, you know, I know what this high school looks like. I knew what, know what it was like to be at this high school or your, it's your kid's school and, you know, you know what the student population is like and you know kind of how the place feels and you can say, all right, well, if that is a school that has 25% free and reduced price lunch, which is our proxy for poverty, okay, now I can sort of set that as my benchmark. And I know that a school that has more free and reduced price lunch, I know that that's a higher, what it means to be a higher poverty school, what it feels like to be a higher poverty school. And one that's lower, it can be a lower poverty school, a more wealthy school. So it now becomes something that I can attach to my own experience. And then when I show you as a through the interface design, uh, the higher and lower poverty schools and how the outcomes are different and how the distribution of resources is different. It's much more meaningful to me and much more vis visceral to me. Right. And, I, and I don't need to sort of struggle to find analogies. I, I have one built in that's really close to me. And how important is it for you and your team to pair the, the data portal with this ability to look at my own experience, with the, with the stories, you know, with actual talking to people and sort of building in the narrative story around the, around the interface and around the tool. No, it's, it's, it's crucial. And, you know, one thing that I, I want to make sure that I say here is that we absolutely are journalists on the team and we have phones next to our computers and we use them to call people and we gather sources and we talk to experts and you know a lot of the times we are we participate in actually the the writing of the story we we just published a story for instance about cruise ship safety in which the reporter was the same person as the developer and the designer so we had in one person uh, uh, somebody doing all of the, the kind of traditional journalism you right. know, ended up writing a story that we threaded through um, a user interface that let people look up individual cruise ships to see what their safety record was like. So we, we, were, we had the ability to kind of explain this phenomenon to people and show them examples that may have, you know, maybe it was a cruise they took or that their parents took or somebody their friend took, um, you know, all at the same time. Um, right. So it's crucial to us that we are, have the ability to do what traditional reporters do. Right. I want to ask you a little bit about, about the actual data collection process. My sort of view of the open data movement is we've moved from a place where we have data wrapped in PDFs that are 
basically impossible to get. We've now moved to APIs and, and JSON formats where we have machine-readable data and we have um, other products and platforms uh, out there that's you know creating data that we can sort of get that's machine-readable. But now I wonder whether we need to move from a machine-readable format where you have variable names to a human-readable format where instead of, you know, V1295, it is, you know, state or location or some, it's the variable name. And what sort of difficulties, what sort of challenges do you guys have when you're working with data of these different formats coming out of these different agencies or organizations? Uh, you know, you know, first of all, the, uh, um, we have, we get a lot of data with have, you know, V129 and, you know, we're, it's a thing that we confront with almost every project. Um, and, you know, uh, we are happy and lucky if the data comes with a, a sufficient data dictionary that helps us understand. And, and frankly, um, lots of government um, data, either via FOIA or via open data portals, actually does come with pretty decent di data dictionaries, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. um, that may be clouded by the fact that if they don't come with good data dictionaries, we tend to either not do it or <laughs> take a long time trying to get one. Right. Um, so I, I definitely see the issue. I, I think it's I think there's lots of complexity and kind of lots of competing priorities inside the government in, in terms of kind of who the audience is for this data. Um, you know, I, for one, don't welcome that day because it'll maybe put me out of business, but uh, <laughs> I'm not all that worried. Well, um, you still need to, like, pull it out of these formats and yes. put it into something where people can use it, right? So there's, there's that, which is what you guys sort of, that's the core there at ProPublica, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and But I think also data is complex and yeah. you know often data is shoehorned into um, kind of forms and formats that um, are necessarily insufficient to, to express all of the data's complexity. Um, right. we, we did a project about the Form 990, the nonprofit tax return form. Um, and we really kind of dove into this project thinking, oh, we're for sure there's going to be some heuristic we can use to detect corruption, and, and this will just be kind of an ocean of, of nonprofit corruption stories. And surely there are non corrupt nonprofits, and surely there have been a bunch of great coverage of, of corrupt nonprofits. Um, but it is not as though there is, you know, as I say, some pattern that you can detect um, just based on Form 990 and sort of say, well, you know, look for people who spend too much money or look for people who run deficits consistently. You know, Form 990 is a very rigid thing and, and you know, it, it's hard to kind of express the complexity of, you know, nonprofits um, just by asking, you know, whatever, 45, 50 questions mm -hmm. um, because everybody gets asked the same 45 or 50 questions and right. they have to kind of answer as best they can. So a lot of the nonprofits that we kind of, built a model and said, you know, look for people who do this or that, that you would kind of get out nonprofits that were actually just fine. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, they follow that pattern because of perfectly legitimate reasons. So the data is very, very complex. It, it is, it's not just that our labeling has to get better. It, it's that you kind of need to do the work of, of understanding the data and, you know, talking with the people who built the data. And, and hopefully that's, one of the values that we can bring as journalists. Mm -hmm. So this data complexity really leads me to thinking about reporters as researchers, which is, as you probably know, one of my uh, common comments about the sort of data journalism field. I talked to Ben Castleman in one of the early episodes of the podcast. There's a lot of reporters, I think, or journalists 
who may not have the experience or the training in statistics or econometrics or what have you. So how do you play with the balance of uh, maybe teaching your staff how to do this research effectively or how to work with statistics, how to work with data? Do you have a, a training process that, that you use? Is it, is it communicating with experts? What, where do you see both, both your, your team's role at ProPublica and also sort of the wider field of, of journalism and media now and as we sort of go forward? I mean, it's a little bit of all of the above, but the most important thing, and, and this is kind of what differentiates journalists from other disciplines like it, is that we always rely on the wisdom of smarter people. Um, and it is crucial that we talk to somebody, even if we think we understand a data set perfectly, even if we think that we understand the math we've done perfectly, um, we will always call someone that we think can tell us we're wrong um, mm -hmm. and, and show them, you know, before we've published what we've done, how we've done it, um, what our assumptions were. We'll show them our, our, our code or our code and say, you know, here's what we did. Um, you know, how did I screw this up? And, and you know what, like as not, they'll say, oh, my God, I, you can never do, you can't do that. You right. compared state over state, you can't do that. And, 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 and I think it's absolutely crucial to our ability to get things right, which is, really the most important thing, you know, we care about. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, sure, we've got, you know, folks who were, uh, who were econ economics majors. We have somebody here who uh, went through the SEPA program at Columbia and, and got her, her stats chops from there. Um, so we have folks who are trained and who train others. Um, but even, you know, anything past a sort of simple regression and, and often even a simple regression, there's always uh, an attached phone call. Um, to an expert who can explain why the model we built has some flaw or some confound that we're just not paying attention to. And are you finding that those experts are are happy and willing to to lend their expertise and, and comment? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it seems yeah. like that peer. It's sort of like a peer review process. That peer review process is obviously, well, obviously has its flaws in the right. existing sort of academic world, but it seems like it's a it's an important aspect of this sort of you know, data-driven uh, journalism that, that you and others are, are um, doing. Yeah, and, and I think that the times, the few times, thank goodness, we've made mistakes, um, and the times that I've seen other news organizations made a mistake, it's been because we thought we knew what we were doing, and I don't have to check. I read the docs. So, you know, I, I, I understand this data pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's just some kind of simple uh, um, kind of misunderstanding you had or, you know, you've baked into your model a, an assumption that turns out to be flawed and that, and that you know, a phone call would have, would have, you know, ironed it out. Right. And do you ever feel like you're sort of held back a little bit because, you know, maybe you don't have a statistician or econometrician like sitting on staff? Do you ever feel like, oh, we'd really want to dive into this complex issue, but we're not really... Uh, we don't really have the skill set to do that. Either we're not going to do it or we're going to go find some people who could maybe do the research for us. Uh, you know, I always want more people. Mm -hmm. um, sure. I mean, if I could have, you know, a, a staff twice the size, yeah. um, I, w I would say yes right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think even then we would still rely on outside experts because even if I had a, a PhD statistician and, you know, a room full of data scientists, they'd also, I also would need hydrologists and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you say, econometricians and, you know, uh, uh, experts in bookkeeping. And I, I would need so many expertises that I couldn't possibly employ them all. Right. 
Um, so we're, we're still, as journalists, you know, there's a difference between a journalist and a witness, right? We, we were not there when the thing happened. We weren't in the room when the uh, corruption was decided. We weren't there. You know, we are not, we didn't see it. So we are always um, kind of uh, overcoming the fact that we're telling a story that we didn't see ourselves. And, and so we're always relying on others, no matter how much expertise we have. But, you know, absolutely. And we work you know, very frequently with, in fact, in every single project, we're working with someone um, who knows more than we do about a subject. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is um, really interesting. Uh, I'm a big fan of the work you guys do. And uh, Thanks. we'll keep exploring all the cool data sets you guys pull out from somewhere and put in a, in a better format. Um, well, thanks, Scott, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, I am John Schwalbish, and this has been the Policy of As podcast. I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.